Well, good morning, everybody. As, uh, as I get started this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. And uh, you need to get ready to visualize a little bit. So get your, your mind's eye or your imagination ready. Because I want you to think about for a moment, uh, what do you picture? What, do you, what first comes to mind when you hear the word peace? When you think about peace, what do you see in your mind's eye? And we're not talking about peace as in P-I-E-C-E, like a piece of cake. We are talking about P-E-A-C-E this morning. So what comes to mind for you? What do you picture? As you think about that for a moment, uh, I've been reflecting on what I think are some common images or reflections or, or visions of peace in our world. And I want to go through a few of these this morning. Maybe these came to mind for you. Maybe you thought of something like the peace sign. You know, these, these symbols that are intended to communicate peace in our lives. Or maybe you pictured a setting like this, a serene lake. Or, or maybe a, a quiet stream came to mind for you, a peaceful river in some way. These are often common conceptions of peace. Or maybe you thought on a bigger scale, more globally, something like the United Nations, a movement that is intended to help establish peace around our world. Maybe you thought of the Green Peace Movement, trying to bring greater peace in our environment. Or maybe peace makes you think of Christmas time, because it's a time where we talk a lot about peace on earth, and maybe you have had or still have an ornament that looks something like this. Or think of a couple of pop culture references. Maybe for you, the first thing you thought of was the never-ending desire for world peace expressed by Miss America contestants. If we're ever in that situation, that seems to be the never-ending correct answer there. For the sports fans in the room, maybe you're aware of uh, the L.A. Laker, formerly known as Ron Artest. This guy officially changed his name to Meta World Peace. Maybe some of us, we have the hippie uncle that came to mind. He dresses like this. He thinks he's still on his way to Woodstock. And, and when we think of peace, that's sort of the, the era that we think of. Maybe other, others of us, we pictured a peacekeeper. You know, a blue-helmeted peacekeeper as this symbol of stability, safety, and resolve in an area of unrest. Or lastly, maybe you were imagining a scene like this, where two former arch enemies come together on terms of peace, on an agreement, a handshake, to rest from conflict in their part of the world, at least for a season of history. I think there's lots of different images and visions of peace in our world, and I think what's represented, what's represented by all of them is that we all have a common longing for more peace. We all want a more peaceful experience. We want world peace, peace on earth. We want peace of mind, peace in our relationships. But here's the challenge. When we look around, so much of the time, that's not what we experience. We don't see peace. We experience chaos, stress, worry, and anxiety. I mean, you just look at the headlines. We see conflicts, wars, terrorist attacks, health epidemics, natural disasters, famines, and other crises. And then Again, all of that comes closer to home. And our relationships aren't always what they want to be. They're more broken and fragmented. And in our interior life, often we feel stressed, worried, anxious. And like we're the furthest thing from having a peaceful experience. And it makes us wonder if peace is nothing more than an elusive fantasy. We live in the world of worry and what ifs. You know, what's going to happen to our mortgage if we go through another bad business cycle? What if I, I never find a spouse and I'm lonely forever? What if we can never get pregnant? Or if we do have kids, what if something happens to them or they walk away from our values? You know, what if I screw up this project at work and miss out on the promotion? 
What if the tests come back positive? What if I never get past my addiction? And what if at the end, end, end of the day, I end up believing the wrong things about life, faith, and eternity? There's lots to worry about and there's lots that disturbs the peace in our lives. What we want to talk about this morning in this fruitful series is how to experience a more peaceful way of being. And we want to look at a story that I think sets a pretty unlikely stage for a new vision of peace, a new experience and approach to a peaceful way of life. And to start this story, I want to introduce you to a guy named Paul. And uh, you may hear us talk about from time to time, this guy Paul from here. If you've, you've been around for a bit, and maybe you're newer to this, this church experience, and you've thought, hey, who's Paul? He sounds like a real stand-up guy, a really popular guy in the church. Uh, but usually from this platform, when we talk about Paul, who we're talking about is a guy who wrote a good portion of the New Testament in the Bible. And uh, he's often referred to as the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul. He's kind of this big hero in the Christian world. But before he was any of those things, and I kind of want to rewind us a little bit, before he was any of those things, he was just Paul. He was a guy living his life in first century Israel. Now, this doesn't mean that he was just any average first century dude, because what we learn about Paul, what we see and understand about his life is that this is a guy who had things going on, who had life sort of going up into the right. He was most likely brought up in a metropolitan city to a wealthy family, and he was well-educated. And Paul also uh, enjoyed the privilege of being a Jewish Roman citizen. He was a Jew, but he was also given the status of being a Roman citizen. And this gave him a unique sort of sense of prestige and position and influence, particularly with the religious leaders of his day. And we come up, when we come upon him in the story of the scriptures, Paul is using that influence in utter opposition to the brand new Jesus movement. He is doing everything he can to sort of move and shake with the powers that be, to shut down, stamp out, persecute, and in some, case even, some cases even execute the earliest Jesus followers. Until one day, Paul has this life-changing experience. On the road to sort of one of these missions, one of these projects to shut down the Christians, he is confronted by a blinding light. He's knocked down, he's temporarily blinded, and through this experience, he encounters the risen person of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And as you can imagine, this dramatically changes the course of his life. And he goes 180 degrees from being one of the biggest opponents and persecutors of the Christian movement to being the greatest advocate and missionary to the non-Jewish community and the Western world, bringing them the message of Jesus. And here's where the story gets interesting and why I give you some of the context and background of Paul's life and upbringing. Because not only did that experience dramatically change his mission and purpose, but it also ended up dramatically changing the circumstances around his life. Dramatically changed his well-being. It dramatically changed the degree to which his life and circumstances were up and to the right. Because as Paul became an advocate for Jesus, he began to experience the opposition, the persecution, and the downward spiral of events that he once inflicted on the Jesus followers. To make what became a pretty intense and long journey relatively short, Paul was a guy who ended up being beaten on multiple occasions, the 40 lashings kind of beatings. There were several assassination attempts on his life. A lot of people wanted to snuff him out, and he was always on the run. 
throughout the travels, he experienced at least three shipwrecks where the storms overcame his ship and he was left stranded in the ocean, clinging to wreckage, wondering if he would survive and make it to shore. Paul was imprisoned in more than one city and he was a guy who knew what it truly meant to be hungry at times, thirsty, cold, without clothing, scared and all alone. And where we're going to enter the story this morning, Paul finds himself rotting in a Roman jail cell, chained by the hands and feet, likely with a chain around his neck, his back against the stony wall, damp, dark, and cold, given only scraps to eat with critters trying to take his food. And as far as Paul knows, at this point, he finds himself on death row, not knowing at what moment the powers that be will come in and say, we have had enough of this Jesus guy. Can you imagine in that journey the the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the doubt of whether it's worth it? The, the, The feelings of being in that jail cell wondering, is this my last meal? My last day? My last breath? The last chance to see any friends that may come and visit me? Now, in this scenario, to make matters worse, while Paul's in this jail cell, he gets word from one of his friends that that one of the churches he planted is also struggling, experiencing stresses and pressures of of their own. And these churches, they were Paul's prized possession in his missionary journey. They were the pride and joy and, and just some of the outward signs of the actual success of his mission. And about 10 years earlier, he had planted a church in an important Roman city called Philippi. But now, a decade later, when Paul had had to move on in his travels, and as the church had gone through its original flourishing days, they were experiencing some challenges. There were societal pressures, because in that community, when you put your allegiance in Jesus rather than Caesar, the Roman marketplace doesn't take too kindly to you. There were relationship pressures. Some of the people were starting to have friends betray one another because they were saying, you know, how seriously are we really going to take this Jesus thing? And as a community, they were experiencing the kind of pressures that are sometimes real in churches, where there was questions about the direction, future, and practice of the church. Some disagreements among leaders and members of the community were confused and experiencing tension, some infighting, and conflict. This morning, as we look at this scene, I wonder how many of us can relate to either Paul's experience or the Philippians' church experience. Because Lord willing, hopefully most of us haven't experienced beatings in the way that Paul has, but you've been beaten down by life through the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, a bad diagnosis. You know, you've probably never been in a shipwreck, a literal shipwreck, but you've set sail on the oceans of love and relationship. Now for some of us only finding ourselves abandoned and holding on to the wreckage, lonely and in isolation, wondering if we'll make it back to shore. Maybe you've never been in prison, although some in our community have experienced that reality. But I think at some level, we can all relate to being imprisoned by overwhelming emotions, fears, anxieties, depression, and maybe mental illness, feeling walled in and like there's no way out. And like the church in Philippi, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the the more you seek to follow him with devotion, you've probably experienced certain societal pressures where you've made business decisions that cut you out of certain deals because you didn't want to cut corners. You've tried to live a life of simplicity and generosity, but it makes you wonder, will we we have enough at the end of the day? I think for all of us, at times we've experienced tension in a community like this. We're unsure of where things are going or what's the right direction. 
And it cre- creates a lot of confusion, disagreement, and it sometimes conflict. So in this scene this morning where we want to look at just a small piece of a letter that Paul wrote from that jail cell to that Philippian church community. A letter of hope, a letter of grace, a letter of instruction and accountability, and also, in a portion of it, a letter of peace. So this morning, we're going to look at Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And if you have a Bible with you, you could turn there to soak in these words. They'll be here on the screen as well. But this is just a portion of what Paul writes in that circumstance to the Philippian church. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These two sentences, these these two verses, this is the wisdom and maybe even the supernatural idea that we want to lean into this morning in hopes of experiencing a more peaceful way of life. So we're going to unpack these these verses phrase by phrase and thought by thought to see what we can learn and apply to our own lives. At first, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. I want to focus on on this idea for a moment. If I'm honest with you, uh, my first reaction to this is to think, what on earth is Paul saying? How could he make such a bold and seemingly impossible or unrealistic instruction? How could we really not be anxious about anything? But I think what is key here is to remember what Paul has been through and what he's going through. Because we could easily dismiss this as an insensitive denial of the difficulty of life. We could see this as blind naivety saying, you know, everything is going to be fine. Or we can read it from a man who's been to the worst depths of human suffering and yet whose spirit is finding a way to push through and cling to a different vision, a different perspective. And frankly, this this perspective, this different vision, is one that originally came from Jesus. Because here, Paul is reiterating an idea that was recorded in the teachings of Jesus, where in in Matthew 6.25, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. The first thing I want us to take away this morning is that both Paul and Jesus seem to think that our anxieties and our worries are something that we can do something about. Now, it's not a magic formula to snap our fingers and make it go away. And I want to say sort of two things about this. First of all is that it's something we can do something about imperfectly, just with all of our Jesus following. But if someone is a worrier, sort of describes themselves as a worrier, they will probably always tend to be a worrier. That's a temptation you'll likely face your whole life. But that said, it doesn't allow us to just resign ourselves to the fact that we are a worrier because we are not primarily worriers. We are primarily followers of Jesus. We are primarily trusters of Jesus. And like any temptation we may face, we are to bring it to Jesus, like temptations to be proudful, lust, greed, self-centeredness, deceit. We are to bring also our worry to Jesus. The second thing I want to say is that I appreciate that worry and anxiety can be two very different things. Someone who describes themselves as a worrier could be someone very different than the person who struggles with anxiety, depression, and mental illness. And I want to be sensitive to say that I know we're all going to be hearing this conversation on a different, at a different place on the spectrum 
of worry and anxiety this morning, but our hope is that for all of us, we can lean in and grow into a more peaceful experience from what we can learn in these words. So Paul first says, do not be anxious about anything. The next he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, as, as challenging and as bold as these instructions might feel, what I'm inspired by is how all in Paul's language is. Because he believes this stuff applies not to all circumstances in our lives, the good, bad, and the ugly. And, and I am no Greek scholar, uh, but as far as I'm aware, the literal translations of the word anything and everything are just that, anything and everything. Do not be anxious in anything, but in every situation, in everything, bring our request to God. Basically what Paul is saying, that we are called to transform our worries into prayers. That every time we're tempted to worry, we channel that into a prayer to God. And I don't want us to miss what he's, what he's saying about prayer here when he uses these two ideas, prayer and petition. And frankly, if I'm honest with you, this would be a confession that, that can be true for me at times, and I wonder if it's true for a number of us in the, in the Christian community, that sometimes when we say we're going to pray about something, what we really mean or what really happens is that we simply feel a warm and fuzzy thought in that moment, and then we forget that we ever said we were going to pray about it. But that's not what Paul is talking about here, because what's a pet- petition? It's making a case. It's trying to rally others to your cause. It's trying to get something done. It's begging and it's pleading, feeling a deep sense of need and equivalent desire for that need to be met. These aren't fleeting thought kinds of prayers. These are the kind of prayers that cause you to get on your knees. These are the kinds of prayers that find you opening your palms because you are longing to receive something new. These are the kind of prayers that have you tell your family and friends what you're praying for and asking them to pray as well because you're trying to create a petition before God. These are the kind of prayers that have you open up a journal and grab a pen, even if it's not a regular thing for you, and get detailed and specific and honest and messy about what is going on in your heart. These are the kind of prayers that have you come to the front after the service, asking one of the volunteers who are always available after our services whether they could pray for you and pray with you. Because given the depths of the worry and anxiety many of us face on a daily basis, Paul gives us an equally strong invitation to bring the depths of these needs to God with earnest and expectant prayer. And as we do, here's what he says begins to happen. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the promise. This is the result. This is the fruit that we're talking about this morning, this fruitful series. That the peace of God begins to take root in your heart and you experience a more peaceful way of being in the world even when your circumstances are far from it. Now, what does Paul mean by the peace of God? I want to camp out on that for a moment because I think this is where we find a different vision for peace, a different image, a different kind of peace that's different than anything else we see in our world. And at the core of it, I believe it is the good news of Jesus. It's the peace that comes from knowing that God through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is making all things right through him and that he's made this power available to us on the inside through his spirit. To one of the sister churches uh, in his day, Paul wrote this as well in Colossians 1, 19 to 20. 
He said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is what makes this kind of peace so different. It's the supernatural peace that comes through what God has done in Jesus. And it becomes an inside-out, not an outside-in kind of peace. Because what Jesus has done on the cross has unleashed his power, the risen power of his spirit, into our lives. And that is the source of this inside-out kind of peace we're talking about. It's not a peace that depends on what is going on around us because it is based on what Christ has done in us. And that's why Paul says it also transcends all understanding. Because it's not just the, the greatest kind of peace you could imagine if you were thinking of the peace scale, like it's the, it's the best one. No, it's in a whole different category. It comes from an entirely different source. It's something we can't fully wrap our minds around. We can't fully understand. We can't fully articulate. Because it's not dependent on our ever-changing circumstances or feelings, but is dependent on the one thing that never changes. God's reconciling work through Jesus and this new interior life he's made available to us. It's peace when we least expect it. Peace when the world thinks we shouldn't have peace. It's a peace that deepens rather than weakens, even when life gets more uncertain. That is the peace of God. That is a new perspective on peace. And finally, Paul says, this peace of God, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I've read these verses a number of times before I had prepared uh, for this morning's message. But it had never stood out to me of how and why Paul would say that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until I had a chance to take a closer look and, and study Paul, why Paul would have used this language. Because as I said, Philippi was an important Roman city. It essentially served as the gateway between Asia and Europe. But not only was it a Roman colony, it was a Roman garrison town, which meant it was an outpost for Roman soldiers, a rendezvous point for the Roman guards and soldiers in their day. So the town would have been littered with Roman guards all around, standing their post, standing watch. And the Philippians would have been used to seeing them. And frankly, this is part of what was creating the anxiety and the pressure as they sought to live out this Jesus way of life. And when you think about it, what does a guard do? They keep watch. They protect. They gatekeep. They serve as a filter or an access point for, for who and what gets in and who and what stays out. And here, what Paul is trying to do, he's giving them an image of a different kind of guard. A bigger guard. A stronger guard. A guard that can't be defeated. A guard that never leaves his post. And a guard that is available to every single one of us deep inside. And when Paul says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, he says when you see these guards, remember that the secret to overcoming fear, worry, and anxiety is to allow the peace of God. The peace that makes all things right through Jesus. A peace that no one can fully understand. A peace that comes from the inside and works out. Let it be the guard. Let it be the gatekeeper and protector of your heart and mind. Well, these are the things that we want to learn from Paul and what he said to the Philippian church in his day, 2,000 years ago, from that jail cell to that church. 
But as we begin to, to wrap up, I want to share one more story with us. And it's not one that comes from a setting, you know, in a different time and place. It comes from the here and now. And it comes from our community. And I want to tell you about a young lady in our church. Her name is Kelsey Nectel. And Kelsey and her family, they attend our, our Vineland location. And, and Kelsey's given me permission to share some of her story with you this morning. You see, somewhere throughout her teenage years, Kelsey began to struggle with mental illness. At first, she didn't really know what was going on, just that dark feelings, deep anxieties, internal fears and concerns were plaguing her more than any teenager feels they should. These anxieties were then compounded with struggles related to identity and her sense of safety, or lack thereof in a society that knows how to bully, put down, and ostracize those who are already struggling. And for Kelsey, this led to self-harm and suicidal tendencies, both of which she hid from her family, only increasing her sense of isolation and depression. But as her battle with mental illness became too much to disguise, Kelsey ended up spending a lot of time in and out of hospitals and treatment centers, trying to find relief from her depression and anxiety. A few years ago, she even underwent what's called electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT. It's a form of, of shock or induced convulsion therapy intended to rewire the brain. And Kelsey told me that for some people, this, this works wonders. But for her, the only result was the painful loss of some meaningful portions of her memory. Shortly after, her battle continued with more failed medications, another round of ECT, seasons of night terrors, and an ongoing wrestling match with mental illness. Kelsey is someone who, like Paul, has experienced some of the worst stresses, fears, anxieties, and circumstances that life can throw at us. I share a bit of her story with you this morning because a couple of months ago, I was shown some artwork that Kelsey created that illustrates how she encounters the peace of God amidst all of the turmoil that she faces. I want you to be aware that the image is fairly intense, but I think it's a powerful depiction of what we're talking about this morning. So I want to show it to you. Have Have a look at it now. As you take a moment to soak it in, I'm not sure what strikes you most. But for me, once my initial reactions can, can sift through the darkness and the demons that are, are trying to envelop the whole image, my gaze fixates on the dove right at the center of the screen. A dove that's calmly hovering over the person that I think so many of us can relate to. The dove is steady. The dove is watching. The dove is a source of light. In fact, the only source of light revealing the darkness and the demons for what they really are. And the dove is protecting, guarding the lone soul who feels so susceptible to all that surrounds her. Kelsey entitled uh, this drawing, this artwork, Safeguard. And in a world that often seems bent on disturbing the peace 
in our lives and our souls, I'm not sure there's a better image for the role that the peace of God wants to play in the midst of whatever you're going through. I chatted with Kelsey again a couple of weeks ago. And she's currently at a a place called Homewood Health Center in Guelph, and she's having a a positive experience there. But she still battles, and she told me that she needs to come to God often. She needs to come to God with prayer and petition, expressing her her request to him to find his peace. And that, that can look all kinds of ways, in artwork, in writing, in words, in thoughts, in moments of quiet. But she needs to do this often. And I love how she also talked about our need to be present because you know where worry and anxiety lives? It lives in the past and it lives in the future because we worry about our past, what we've done, what we can't change, what we regret. And we worry about the what ifs in life, what's going to happen. We worry about the future. But when we can learn to be in the present and be with God, we can begin to realize that we don't need to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. In spite of such challenging circumstances, Kelsey is a real-life example in our community of someone who is learning to allow the peace of God to guard her heart and mind in Christ Jesus in the same way that Paul had experienced that secret and sought to share it with the Philippian church in his day. So as I wrap up, I want to leave you with one question to reflect on and chew on in your own life for a moment. What's been guarding your heart? What have you given gatekeeper access to your heart and mind that determines what gets in and what gets out and the degree to which you experience anxiety and stress or a peace that surpasses our understanding? Is it opinions of other people? Believing that you're only worth what other people say about you or think about you? Is it just fear about the future, doubts and insecurities, believing the lie that the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket? Is it appearances, you know, how you look, how you look in the mirror? Is it relationships? Is it sex? Is it the desire for the absence of conflict, believing if you can avoid any and all tensions that somehow you'll experience a real sense of peace, but it never seems to come? Or has it been material things, financial and business success, believing that your heart can only be as steady and as stable as that of your balance sheet. What has been guarding your heart? Because I believe firmly that all of these outside-in approaches will never bring the peace that we really long for. So what if we could trade these outside-in ways of trying to bring peace into our lives, measure the peace of our hearts? What if we could trade those for the inside-out kind of way that God wants to provide for us through Jesus? What if we could come to him with all of our prayers and petitions, all of our worries, transforming our worries into prayers? It's not that we're not going to worry or feel stressed or anxious, but it's what we do the second after. Do we channel those things into prayers to the God that longs to hear them so that he can bring his inside-out peace that guards our hearts and minds, even when we least expect it. As I got ready for this talk, I was trying to imagine what's the equivalent of a guard in our day? By the grace of God, we don't live in a part of the world where we see guards walking around. But I try to think about what represents sort of access and security and, you know, allowing things in and out. And 
I thought of the, the simple image of a set of keys. These are my, uh, my house keys and my work keys, by and large. Uh, I have them on me most days throughout the day, probably needing to use them to get in and out of different uh, doors, you know, half a dozen times. They, they represent the access to some of the most important spaces in my life. But over the, the past couple of weeks, I added a key to my key ring here. You won't quite be able to see it from here, but uh, it's a key that stands out. looks a little bit different than some of the other keys. And it doesn't open any physical door in my world. But instead, what's unique about this key is hand-stamped on it is the word peace. And for me, over the last couple of weeks, I've been using this key as an object reminder, an object lesson and a reminder that every time I take them out of my pocket and I go to open a door and I see this key, it reminds me to, to seek the peace of God. It reminds me to bring my request to God, asking him to be with me. Every time I feel them in my pocket, I remember to, to pray for the things that are worrying me. Maybe I'm going into a meeting. Maybe I'm concerned about things happening to my, my wife and my kids. And this key is reminded to be present and to pray to a God who is listening and longing to bring his peace into our hearts. This morning, if you've been inspired or encouraged at all by these stories, or you're longing to experience a more peaceful way of life and, and looking for something that can help you embrace this, help you practice this way of life, we'd love to give you one of these keys. We've made several hundred of them. Uh, they all have the word peace on them. And uh, in a moment, you'll get some instruction about if you'd like, you could come forward and get one during the closing song. No pressure, you certainly don't have to, but if you'd like to, we'd like to give you one. And maybe you want to take it and you want to put it on your key ring so that every time you go through, it, through a door into one of the most important spaces in your life, you remember to pray. You see it and you're reminded that the peace of God is with you from the inside, regardless of what's going on on the outside. Maybe you want to have a ch get a chain and uh, wear it as a necklace. Keep it close to your heart. Maybe you want to hang it from your rearview mirror in your car, somewhere prominent at home or in your office. Or if you're not sure about displaying it, maybe you want to put it in a drawer that you open often. But wherever you place it, whenever you see it, let it be the reminder that we don't have to be anxious in anything because we can come to a God who is making all things right in Jesus and has given us his spirit, his peace, as a guard, as the guard, the protector, the watcher, the overseer of our hearts and our minds. And it's a peace unlike anything we've ever experienced. It's a peace that is just so different from all of our visions of peace in the world. It's a peace that comes from a different source, and I think it's a peace that's available to us this morning. Let me pray for you. God, may you be the one that guards our hearts in all things, in anything and in everything. May you become, to a greater degree, the key to our hearts and our minds that we can live and rest in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And may you be the king of our hearts in all ways that we would submit to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.